Hey, everybody. We're talking to Dr. Steven Feinberg today. What an amazing guy. He's a neurostrategist. That's right, a neurostrategist, an author, executive coach, has some incredible stories from life and business. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Last 10%. I am Dallas Burnett sitting in Thrive Studios in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair. But more importantly, we have an incredible guest today, Dr. Steven Feinberg. He is a neurostrategist. He's the author of a book title, which, oh my gosh, I love this title. Do what others say can't be done. Play the metagame. Uh, you have you had me at metagame. So welcome to the show, doctor. I'm glad to be here. That's a great intro. I hope to live up to at least 5% of it. <laughs> <laughs> We're just excited to have you on. I've, you're the first neurostrategist that we've ever had on the show. And we just are excited to hear and get into some of the conversation. But I will say, and when we get started, this I'm just curious because your experience, we talked a little bit before the show, is incredible. Now, I grew up and I had a lot of just random jobs coming along, just all, all over the map. But I have to say that you have you taken the cake. So tell us where you began, where you started, and where you grew up. I grew up sleeping on a fire escape in New York City. Because at one point, my family didn't have enough money to have a large enough a place for themselves. We moved back in with my grandparents. And they were very loving and warm and kind. And, but it was like a three-room track design of the bedroom. And so my parents lived in another apartment in the build, same building, but with their family members. And oh, so I'm in this apartment with my grandparents. I saw my parents every day. It's like they were all, I was four or five years old. So I had no idea that I was poor. Yeah, yeah. I had one my family around. But my grandparents would put me out on the fire escape to sleep because I saw it while I'd be right. with them. Yeah. They put me, my mother, my, my wife wants me to remind everybody or tell everybody, not remind them, that they took me in when it was cold and rainy or snowy. They didn't leave me. Yes. They didn't leave me out there the winter time. But yeah, so I grew up sleeping on a fire escape. But how did I get from fire escape to neurostrategist? Is the story and the story I tell in the book as well. Wow. That's amazing. So so tell us a little bit about tell us a little bit about some of your background. You had a newspaper delivery. I grew up in the country. I didn't have a newspaper delivery route. I had a an egg delivery route. Literally, I'd get a dozen eggs. I'd put them on my bike and I'd headle to Miss Franklin's house. And I think I got a quarter off of that. It was not a very good entrepreneurial venture, but that was, that was the closest thing. So tell us, cause you, you take the cake. Tell us some of the ventures and early, early years of work that you experienced. So in addition to being a paper boy, right outside that home where I lived, I was a shoe shine boy. So I just ah. used to shine shoes. I was a New York city Doorman. I drove a cab in New York City. I, the when I was in the high school, and I'm back. I'm jumping around a little bit, but in terms of time. But I was in in high school. I was a carnival bar, like a carnival came to town to New York City, and they needed teenage kids to run the, their games and so on. So they, I got hired to do that, and there's a lot of fun stories about that. I was a drug counselor. I ran a suicide prevention center. My family owned an Italian restaurant and pizzeria, and I, I've been an executive coach. I couldn't keep a job, apparently, but I kept, I was an executive coach and a neurostrategist for the last 40 years or so, working with senior executives and top talent and entrepreneurs and world-class companies like Apple, LinkedIn, Google, et cetera. 
That's incredible. Tell us, in terms of your research and your focus, what inspired you to go into that? Because you have such a entrepreneurial background. What inspired you to move you towards the neuroscience and that neurostrategy? I'd say the core of it all came from being around my dad. You see, my dad, the origins of this idea of do what others say can't be done and coming at first adapted all happened 50 plus years ago, being at the foot of my dad and mm. I'm training from him. I, you see, my dad was a big time bookie and not the, in New York City <laughs> in the 50s and 60s, <laughs> 50s and 60s, and not the type that reads books. Yeah. <laughs> and in one game, he lost 10 large. That's $10,000 in bookie parlance. Oh my gosh. $95,000 today. Oh my gosh. And then by day's end, he actually won money. And it started all over again 24 7 the next day. So it was a roller coaster and the intensity is still affecting my brain. Oh my gosh. So it was a masterclass. It actually was a masterclass in handling and mishandling uncertainty. So what I talk about a lot is how you can make the right moves because I was it. My dad was just wasn't a bookie. He was also a, a lot entrepreneur, had a lot of businesses. I can go into that in a bit, but it was how to handle, how to make the right moves when uncertainty, when pressure rattles you. And mm. the, the price of admission is $95,000 in our conversation. <laughs> I love it. That is so it so when he's because that's just an incredible that's an incredible story. Your dad you have this experience, you're watching your father, who's a bookie. He's doing this in New York City, right? He's doing this right. in New York City. So that's he's right. a bookie in New York City. He's on this roller coaster, he's up and down. How does he and did you learn from watching him and learn from all the ways he managed that kind of stress and uncertainty and that was inspiring to you? Or did you see him and you see it just, you just was, did it wreck him? Did that kind of stress wreck him or did he mismanage that? And you go, I want to learn more about this because of some of the mistakes I saw. Which kind of direction pushed you? I think it was a little bit of the aspects of, he was successful in a lot of things that he did. So but gambling is would not recommend it to everyone. Yet our brains are always trying to predict things. So we're mm. all our expectations are at our attempts to predict, right? And mm. that's part of, so we're all gambling in effect. There's different levels of it and extents and risks that our brains are trying to, to manage, to deal with things. You know, it's like the Dallas with my dad, I can, he didn't, as I said earlier, it wasn't just a bookie, although that was a large part of it. At one point he owned a, a restaurant and the economic, there was an economic downturn and things were going down. He might, was nerve wracking in the sense that he might've had to let some people go and they were like family to us. And so the, the and maybe even close the business. And at that time, I was about ready to go to college, not quite there. And even my college tuition was on the line. So he needed better prices. All this uncertainty people are experiencing now is he needed to get better prices for his business, for the restaurant. So we drove to the, his vendor and this vendor's Joe was a tough negotiator and he, they went behind closed doors. He and Joe went behind closed doors. My dad said, sit over there. And five minutes passed, 10 minutes passed. I got more nervous. And my dad walks out from behind closed doors. And he goes, I said, how is it, dad? How'd it go? Yeah. Make it or break it. Yeah. His point. And he said, it doesn't look good. And Mm. I need a glass of water. And that, those words, that phrase kept going like a loop in my head. It doesn't look good. And he walked back into his office, Joe's office. Mm. Five minutes passed, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I, 
this loop is just making me crazy on the inside. Oh, yeah. Because I'm seeing the end of our biz, my family business, my, oh. what my mom going to do, what's my, my brother, what, what's going to happen with all those poor folks who work for us. I was concerned for everybody and my tuition, you know, what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's on the line. Yeah. He walks out of the door, kisses the back of his right hand, and then the back of his left hand. Raises his hands up, says, there's nobody better than me. I, I, oh, my goodness. I, he laughed. I laughed. And now you're laughing. Perhaps some of you are. <laughs> well, yeah. right. It's, and so I wanted to know, he told me a little bit about what had, what transpired, what actually he said and how he did it. No, I didn't quite, I was 17 or somewhere at that age. I didn't quite yeah. understand what he was talking about other than. I wanted to know what he actually did behind those closed doors. So what happened, yes. that was the question you had to the response mm. to your question. What prompted this? Well, so I've been always trying to find out what he did and what people like himself do behind those closed doors when you're between a rock and a hard place, when the, the game is on the line. What do you mm. do? And he did it again. And again, in all kinds of circumstances. And that's the training that I had to watch and oh. to, to ask questions. And I was fortunate, but I was fortunate, but also stressful. Like I said. Oh, believable stress. Training. Yeah. When, especially when he comes out. I, I mean, I just picture you sitting there as a kid and you got all these things. And we always tend to fill in the information that we don't have, those gaps in knowledge with the negative anyway. We already are like second guessing and we always have this tendency to do that. And then for him to come out and be like, it's not looking good, son. It's just, oh, the intensity that just ratchets up. That's such a great story. And it's such a marker in your life. It's welcome to adulthood, classes in session, and something just went down behind the closed door. And it's just I feel like that just has fueled the curiosity, your curiosity the rest of your life. I love how you described, I just always wanted to know what goes on behind closed doors when it all, it all counts. It's all, it all, everything's on the line. I love that. I and then, well, so then I find myself in situation rooms, right? In, in mm. effect, that's what I find myself. I'm curious and I'm always find myself almost uh, scripted, if you will of showing up in places that, that we're at, it's almost impossible. What it, what appears like to people that the situation is almost impossible. And we always find a way forward. Like, it's not always perfect, but we find ways forward when I work with people and they, the big deals. And so it's like I've worked with, as, I, as you mentioned in my book, Do What Others Say Can't Be Done. The forward by, of that book is, by the way, is by an astronaut who flew to the International Space Station twice. A terrific oh, cool. guy. He's probably the most down to earth person I've ever met. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. He's got an interesting story as well. But the, with world class leaders at people like Apple, Apple CEO, with execs from various technology companies, with entrepreneurs, with creators, with leaders, business owners. So, like, what does my dad, what does my big time bookie dad have in common with those people? And the, Truth of the matter is that all are first adapters, not adopters, but first adapters who make game-winning, game-changing decisions when uncertainty strikes. And uh, they all excel at the game of patterns, the hidden game of patterns. And it's what governs our behavior and shapes our lives. And Okay, let's take a second. I want to unpack that a little bit because you just dropped some wisdom on, on, on us. You said... That it's that these people at the highest levels, when everything counts, are people that are experts at patterns, and they are first adapters, not first adopters. Because the adopters, I, we've all seen the chart of the early adopters, and they're quick to move on something. But explain the difference between an early adapter and an early adopter. Right, they're first adapt first adapters. First adapters, clear, yes. Right? Like early responders are people who well, are heroes in their own right. <laughs> Let's put them in a different category. But first right. adapters are people who are able to see, they do three things. They see the game that others don't. They mm. defy expectations 
and they influence others. So we know that the people who are doing this are doing these three things. They're seeing the game, a game board that others don't see. Mm. They're defying expectations and they're influencing others to get moving in the direction that is best moves forward. Those are the three things that they're doing all the time consistently. And I told this to, uh, to a fellow named James Salmon, who wrote a book called Disrupt You. And he's world famous, tremendous talent, insight. And I described, because I interviewed 50 plus executives and talent people from all walks of life, from the executive suites to people, to police chiefs and be- top best teachers in the world, the teacher wow. year award and so the soul walks of life is this pattern is about how, is about patterns, right? The way you sure. think about things. And one of the things Jay said to me was, you just described me. He just said, he said, just describe me. I see game boards that others don't defy expectations and influence others. That's me. That's what I would say. So what has happened is all those people are doing that. Well, Jay was an, Jay was an exemplar in that, but. Virtually everyone I know is doing that. And so you want to acquire that, that framework, that lens to be able to do that, to see those patterns. Let's, let's talk about that because I want to get into what is it, what do you mean when you say the, see the patterns or see the game that other people don't see? What, when you say that, what do you mean? So a pattern, when we, when you pattern, so we all have patterns, you have pattern like habits routines tendencies. yeah routines right yeah. yes it's a routine it's a habit it's a tendency you have habits you have patterns that are when you're relating to people when you're you have patterns when you are driving good drivers have patterns right so there's a sure there is patterns my arena i'm looking at the neurostrategy approaches i'm looking at brains games and foes so what are the patterns that create the exceptional? What are all the patterns that are going to identify and people who do things really well accomplish are able to do that? So in particular, the pat- like my dad was able to pattern out what happened in that situation with Joe to change the game okay. with Joe because he, he didn't want to go along at first. He didn't want to just give my dad better prices because his yeah. business was hurting. Right. Sorry, Sam, but you know, I got a business to run here. He's a tough right. guy. Yeah. He's running, just do it. So it's like, how do you go when you negotiate? There are patterns when you're leading. How do you lead in an effective way? There are patterns that maintain the status quo and patterns that change the game. So I oftentimes I relate, I talk about the game of patterns and the game with patterns is there are like status quo games, like playing small. That's a pattern. Or what does that mean? When you say playing small, what if mean? you're in a business owner and we keep shying away from all the risks that are necessary oh. or, the, oh, or, okay. or you're not dealing with the conflict, right? A lot of people are conflict avoiding. Again, that's a pattern. That's a game, right? It means yes. it's a status quo or conversely, the other side is you're trying to act tough. It's like one-upping everybody. Sometimes that's not so, such a good idea. That's a, sure, yeah. right. It ticks people off. Makes it, when someone, but it's like there are different patterns. And so the game of patterns are, there's different levels. There's patterns or games that keep you struggling. Patterns that keep you reactive. You keep reacting to the circumstances you, you encounter. There's the next level where there's, you're playing a better game, a higher performance. They're playing a different game. And then there's the highest or what I call the meta game, the game of games, which is the game, the of, game of games. Oh, this is good. I love this. Okay. So let me just, un- let me slow us down for a second and go back and recap just to make sure I've got this. But, but before you do, let me just yeah. add one other thing. Cause I think it'll help okay. shift your conversation is your brain is a pattern engine. Right. Okay. So in order to make sense of the uncertainty you encounter. Okay. So the biological purpose of patterns is to make sense of whatever you're encountering. So what right. you ask when you're trying to make sense of what I'm talking about, it's your brain trying to make sense. It's patterning. 
you're a good sure. endurer and you're engaged in a pattern to, to unpack what I'm saying and to offer it up to your, to the listeners. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is our brains are sense makers and the way we make sense of things is we construct patterns so that we can predict the future. Essentially, my brain is trying to predict what's going to happen next. And the only way I can do that is assemble some type of model that would allow me to operate and move into that future. Is that right? Am yeah, I, that? I think it's, you're spot on. I think you have, we have a guidance system, like an inner guidance system. What decisions, how we're going to interact, behavior. The inner guidance is a sense-making guidance system. Right? Okay. And it's the intersection of your ability to predict, come up with novel solutions to difficulties you encounter, and okay. meaning. So it's the intersection of prediction, uh, novelty, and meaning that helps guide us to make the best decisions. And what I do and work with people, and when we listen to people who playing at this, at least highest levels, is they have their guidance system, their internal the guidance system is a high level of sense making, right? And so hmm. they look into, they can look, some of the clients, they go, we have to look around corners. That's a metaphor, right? Right. Uh, it's looking sure. at is in order to do what you're talking about in your podcast, we told us the last 10%, right? Is that yes. that's the ability is to look around corners, the last 10% to go that's exactly to right. understand what's going to play out, to game it out, right? Because that's to what game it out. to game out what's going to happen to preempt it and be ready and prepared to make it happen. So you're saying that, let's talk about the games for a minute, because you laid out like three different types of games that people play. One is routines and patterns at the low level that kind of keep us at a low level. I would say maybe I would say something like these are destructive or they're not self-promoting more. They keep us where we are, right? So as long as we're doing these patterns, we are either hurting ourselves or definitely not helping ourselves, right? Right. They're limit, then, they definitely limit ourselves, right? And some of them limit, are, yes. some, yeah, you can have limiting yourself. You don't have to be, I know a lot of people talk about self-sabotage. You don't have to be self-sabotage. They just have a limiting pattern, right? Everything isn't about, a lot of people just say, it must be doing something against yourself. I'm not of that belief. I think you just may not know. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, just like, may you not you know to do anything better. This is all you learned, right? I grew yeah. up with sweets. Right. And I know, like, I thought growing up on the street, one of my patterns was being a tough guy on the streets. Right. Mm. But, but my friends used to say, Stephen, are you wise or are you otherwise? <laughs> I, it was always the message. You better wise up fast. Stop getting. And I always wore sneakers, always ready to run. So I was, had a wise mouth, but I had, I could run fast because I wasn't, I wasn't as strong as a lot of these guys were on the streets. Right. I love it. You wore sneakers so you could run fast. That's so good. That's I, I so still wear good. sneakers so I could run fast. Let me put some clothes. Got here doing this podcast and I'm ready to go, maybe. Maybe ready to take off. That's so good. All because right. Given my brain, uncertainty is like navigating, making sense of things until you learn the patterns to calm you. It's like to be able to, like, how do they perform at these highest levels? A lot of it is deep breathing these people mm. how do you deal with uncertainty but you have to go beyond those breaths there's people who do that it's absolutely essential it's understand diaphragmatic breathing and i've learned a lot about that help my nervous system calm down it's called the vagal nervous the vagal tone it's like the people have the parasympathetic and parasympathetic system both sides of our brain you know, to act and to also yes. rest my brain growing up around the world and certain was all sympathetic that it, the pattern was to be on ready vigilant so i had yes. to teach my body and my brain and my nervous system and still am to calm and rest and restore right and then at the same time that doesn't that's not the end all hey of how you live your life sure. if you're running a business sure. right and so sure. there's an inner game but there's an outer game so I always look right. at the inner game board and the outer game board. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. So, and what I love about what you just said is you just said some of the players that are operating at the highest level game, this is the last 10%. These are people behind the closed doors that have influence, 
that are seeing around corners, that, that, that know, that see the game that other people don't see, these people, you're saying, exercise something so simple that sounds at least so simple as just controlling their breathing. Like that, at that, I mean, but isn't that the interesting thing about the nuance? What you're saying is these people that are running a lot of the world are experts at negotiation, are experts at coaching, leading, all these things that in these environments, they're doing something and are mastering something as simple as just controlling their breathing to the point where you're explaining the whole, the two systems that are operating as just so you can, you say, I've learned a lot about that. That I think some people would gloss over that and they would miss the absolute magnitude of what you just said. And that's why I took a minute because it sounds so simple. You're like, oh, that's whatever. But then you don't do it. And it, that by not doing that pattern, you in, inherently are lowering your game to the lower level. That's right. Do you think about like, I'm a big basketball fan and my favorite player now is Steph Curry, the three-point shoot, best three-point shooter in the world of all time. But he goes at the end of the game, who do you want to have the ball in this thing? At the uh, end of the game, right? That's what my dad did at the end of the game. And sudden death games, right? And sudden death environments when all this uncertainty is... Look, one of the things I was saying was that breathing is important, but it's not sufficient. It's necessary, but not sufficient. Those guys are not just breathing deep. They're breathing a lot. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's not that they don't get, it's not that they don't get nervous or anything. It's like they understand sure. how to regain. That's what vagal mm. tone is to regain your sense of calm. That's, I asked my astronaut friend, what I said, how do you feel when you're on the tip of the rocket, when you're getting ready to go? And he said, confident and excited wow awesome. i would seriously like because i'd be like nervous and he said no oh confident. yeah he said we've trained and we've retrained and are trained again in simulators and we know what's going to happen to a large extent and we practice wow. all the bad things that could happen so when the alarm signals go off he said, and they do in every flight where we go to something called procedural memory. We go in and we begin to engage in the procedure. And our brain just goes, what do we have to do to correct this problem right here? So like Steph Curry, when he goes to shoot the basketball, he's got bagel tone. He's got calm. You watch, if you watch his eyes, if you watch the way he breathes, if you watch the way he stands there, he's going through a procedure. And all people who deal with high pressure situations go through a procedure. They know and they focus on what they're going to do. You hear a lot of people say, just focus on shooting and all. They do that in advance, but they focus on the target and they already know what they're doing. They don't go begin right then and there. They've already done this a thousand times, right? And it's, it's second to, nature. It's, it's second nature. Yeah. And they trust their second nature. So... Mm. So Greg, the astronaut, Johnson, he trusts what he's going to do. And one of the things he was gracious enough to say in, in the book he wrote before, he said, they trained and retrained, and we knew what was going to happen in the, in the space shuttle, in our flights. We knew and we were prepared. He said, what he thinks that he learned from working with me was that he learned to be prepared for those environments, those leadership environments those business mm. environments that you encounter. But the thing is that as you shoot, as you, as Steph Curry's making the shot as Greg is in the launch pad is as my dad is in that room behind closed doors, both the procedures, there's the breathing, but there are these three things that I mentioned early on that they're actually doing. And what they're doing in those situation rooms is they are, Spotting the game, the game spotters, that hmm. are pattern busters, and they are frame setting. So they, when they, so game spotting, pattern busting, and frame setting, that's the procedures that they go through. And so they're reading the game board of, to understand what the game is that's being played. And it's not always the one that seems, I, like I asked, 
when I've worked with some execs or business owners, I've said to them, do you know, you know what the game is according to your competitor or according to your customers or according to your boss? So you know what game board they're playing on? They go, oh, yeah, I know. He wants this and she wants that. And, yeah. and then I go and ask them what they want. That's it. And honestly, it's not. It's not. And it's off by a, a substantial amount. It sounds similar. They use the same words. But their behavior doesn't cut it, not at all. And so I have to come in and say, hey, you're, what you say and what you do and what they expect and what you're delivering is off by a factor that is substantial and you're losing the game because you're not reading uh, the game board. You're not, uh, the real criteria that what really matters to them at this time. So they're not so you're saying in the rules. It's a, it's yeah, so I get it. Okay, so when you say game spotters, what you mean, like an example, like for example, if you're hired to do this, let's say you're managing a project, and we and I've had this experience with people before, and I was contracting someone to manage a project and to develop the project. My my game was, I want communication, and I want real time feedback and communication during the project, especially when certain issues come up or in response to certain issues that arise. And we can go over what those are. But if you're a really, if you're a game spotter, you're picking that up in the first conversation. And whether I even say that explicitly or not, you're pulling that out. And then when we get out of the meeting, you're following up with three emails to say, here's where we are, what we're doing, and you're just moving. Now, on the flip side, what I've had experience with is people like, that you're really describing, it's almost like a lack of, uh, there's a blind spot or a lack of awareness in an individual's perception of other people or themselves to where I think about that project manager and I say, hey, look, I want this. I'm, I really, communication is important to me. Maybe I'm not really good at saying it, but I just get it out there and they don't pick up on the signals of what's important. And then they think response time is good. So they wait until I go, hey, how's the project going? And then they go, whoop. In two seconds, it's going great. That gives me no detail. I don't have any comfort. And then something comes up and I'm caught off guard. And then I walk in and I'm like, what? And it's like, why is this the way it is, right? Because it's a misalignment. But what you're saying is that the people at the highest level are able to anticipate that. And they're able to pick up those signals. Even if they're small, they have this level of awareness that allows them to play the game in a way that is in alignment with the person that they're essentially gaming with. If we're syncing up our patterns, you're saying, oh, I know their pattern. I know what's important to them. Maybe it's communication. Maybe it's a reputation. Maybe it's handling it or whatever it is that's important to them. Mm -hmm. You pick that up. I think that's really, that's very insightful. So game spotters, this is critical. If we deconstruct each of these three elements a little bit, game yeah. spotting is first adapters have a radar for looking for what's missing, right? Mm. So they're noticing what's missing in the, they're reading the room. So the expression, read the room better, and they see the playing field and then they adapt. Where you're describing what you described, Dallas, was someone who would say, like an interview, well, I need someone who's good at communication. Oh yeah, I'm really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately I'm concerned. <laughs> right. Right. That's so yeah, true. We need someone who's flexible. I'm good at that. So true. That's so That's true. true. Oh, they don't describe in behavioral terms what makes them good at that. Or mm. an example of going, I, I used to not be good at that. And here's what I learned. Right. That yes. tells you that they're attending to the depth of your question that you presented to them, right? And oftentimes they don't see that. So a game is a pattern of interactions. It's a story between players. Right? We're on a game board that has objectives, rewards, and rules. And so we're understanding what are the objectives, rewards, and rules, and all behavioral games have deeper purposes. Who can say what to whom and when? For instance, can you say something to your boss, right? That's a rule set. Some people go, you can tell me whatever you want behind closed doors. You can't say it in front of everybody. Right, right. So there's a rule in that relation. And you, go, you might have a different point of view of how, the, of how it's supposed to go. 
In New York, right. one company goes, no, we want it all. Everyone can say it and I can handle disagreements. Some people can say that, but can't actually live by it, right? Yes, that makes total sense. So I may think that you should be able to handle everything in the open in the meeting and just hammer it out right there. That's my rule. But if your rule is the exact opposite, where, listen, you don't, if you got a problem with me personally, you take it after the meeting, you come and find right. me after the meeting. The question then is, which rule am I going to choose to follow? That's right. And, and, and those spotters, you're saying the game spotters are like, I know exactly which one. It's the one that I'm playing the game against. I'm going to follow their rule. Or, they you know? test or it. I'm going to know when to break it. Well, they test it, right? And so all these behavioral games have some kind, typically have a status rule hidden somewhere. As I said, who can say what to whom and when? Who can, if someone has to be one up or one down or speaking a hard truth to your boss or parents. Think about us in, as parents who, in terms of rules, not about, who can say what to whom, but just in terms of rules is. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. The leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one -on -one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one -on -one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. Parents who don't let their kids handle adversity are actually incentivizing the kids to stay dependent on them and the game message that to the kids is you're not capable. You can't have this, right? And we don't Oof. see that until it's too, until the gaming dynamics, until it's too late. So what I try to do is help people see the games and to see the deeper game that's going on. The games, in, the, yeah. in, in the higher level, the meta game, that's highest level game that we were talking about earlier yeah. is the key move the key move of any metagame is stretching not shrinking to stretch okay okay all right so unpack that a little bit you said the highest game we can play is the metagame and you said the highest activity that you can do in the metagame is stretching not shrinking, shrinking right so, so you want to stretch yourself you want to move forward find different ways of accomplishing things i had I was giving a speech at Wells Fargo at the, with the, the IT department, the, the CIO of, the, of Wells Fargo, was, who wrote the forward to my first book, which is called The Advantage Makers. He had me come give a speech about collaboration. He was terrific opening it up. And he was saying, look, we need to all learn to collaborate because we don't typically do that. We're all in school. We learn to be independent individuals and we need to learn how to work together now in this new environment. Yeah. So brilliant setup. And so I brought you here. I brought Dr. Feinberg here to talk to you about collaboration. Uh, and he said, oh, by the way, he said, Stephen told me not to tell you that he was a psychologist. He's a shrink, right? Because he'll think it'll get you all nervous. So he says this in front of several hundred people. <laughs> and you know, I, he said, so for no further ado, let's welcome Stephen Feinberg, right? <laughs> he totally set you up. And like he's from Brooklyn, right? And I'm from beside Manhattan, right? And so I went, thanks, Barry. I really appreciate it. That was a great introduction. Spot on. And then I turned to the audience and the muse hit me, Dallas. I got lucky. The muse hit me and I turned to the audience. They said, how many of you here want to be shrunk? Nobody raised their <laughs> hand. Everyone like, pulled back. I said, how many of you would prefer to be stretched? Everyone raised their hand. Right. Wow. I said, so today what we're going to talk about is stretching yourself 
and your behaviors and your thinking and so your approach. No, I got lucky in that day. So <laughs> good. That was very witty. Well done. That's a great transition too. That's awesome. And I think that's true. I think that's the ideal of a great coach. We talk about coaches and the way we define coaches are people who, in, who help close gaps. And coaches are also people who battle for belief. If I'm, a, if I'm coaching you, I want to identify mind, body, spirit, craft kind of type things. Where are those gaps? And then I'm going to engage in helping you to go from where you are to where you want to be in those gaps. Or I'm going to identify these beliefs, kind of like what you're saying, these, at these levels that you just really may not be aware, bring awareness to that, and then help that. So I think what you're talking about is, as a coach, we're engaging to close a gap, especially of anywhere where someone else has been for a while, especially if they're on that bottom tier in, in your structure on that. If they're, in, if they're on that bottom level, there, there has to be some uncomfortable shift it, to stretch. Like that uncertainty, is, it exists, and there's real risk of failure. There is uncertainty of performance. There, there has to be that engagement. And as a coach, I'm facilitating that process, which is really inspiring. I think that's one of the reasons I love coaching. I'm sure you do as well, to facilitate that. But if someone's pulling back and they're getting defensive and they're holding that power of inertia, man, that's a tough, that's tough. So They, they so can never operate. It, if you think about the conditions of when you're working with someone who wants to stretch themselves or wants to achieve something, but they're, they're, they can't understand why, what's getting in their way, or they've attempted a couple of times. In our brains, we have a risk-reward center, right? It's called, mm. like one neuroscientist told me, he said, it's like an accountant. It's not a real accountant, right? It, but it's an image you, you can use it, and it's measuring risk versus rewards. And so you don't have, you have to understand that the risk is bigger than the reward when some of those things, when you pull back, when, so we have our we shut down. I call it in my book, I hope you've heard of it, the shutdown syndrome. So your brain pulls back and you shut down your patterns. The game of patterns rules all of us. Mm. And you can only perform at the level of the pattern that you're in. Mm. So if you want what you see oftentimes is their attempted solution is maintaining the problem. And so you have to find ways around that. If your coaching is to show them other patterns that they can have access to and available to them to stretch them. In any high-stakes situation, the person with the widest range of responses, the deepest response to the situation, the most adaptable patterns wins more often. The most adaptable patterns wins more. And that makes sense. Because if you like going back to our meeting example, if you don't like being given criticism in the meeting and you're my, you're my direct boss or manager and I am a number eight on the Enneagram and I'm going to challenge you in front of everybody, that's not as adaptable for me. So then I'm challenging you. That may not work out for me. Whereas if I am adaptable and I say, okay, I know he doesn't like me to call him out in the meeting and I do, then all of a sudden. I get this great performance review or get a great raise or get, I get moved over to get promoted and, I, and that's a win, right? So, and it's being adaptable. I'm being able to adapt to that new game. Right. And that's what first adapters are doing, right? They're adapting, they play, they have a wider range of responses. And it comes in part from, there's a law in cybernetics called the law of requisite variety. So the law of requisite variety, basically, it's by this cybernetician and Ashby. And it says, in any complex system, the controlling device must match the variety and complexity of that system in order to be effective. So if you have a oh, controlling wow. device, it must be able to match the variety and the complexity in order to be in control. Otherwise, it's at the effect. It of yes, it so humans, in order to be in control, we want a lot of people go, oh, you're a controller, you're over controlling. That's not the issue. Some people no. are over controlling. We want to deal with that. But a lot, but a lot of times it's people are out of control. If you're running a business, you want to be in control. You want to be sure. out of control. 
know, right. it's like, let it float. That's not the way, <laughs> if you're driving a car, just let the car drive. If you have a self-driving car, great. You've, you've, the mechanism is there, but you want to set your brain to, to control, to be able to be in control of the situation. If you feel like your leader has a sense of control, and I mean that in the widest range, not in the sense of authoritarianism or anything like that, but in the sense of being able to shape and influence and make good decisions along the way, it makes his people feel in safety and security. people want yeah. and security. And that's a good thing. So the person, what that rule says is the person who is the most adaptable wins, not the person who's true. the strong arm. It's like Aikido, true. they have the strong, they have tough guys. And then you have an Aikido, a little short Aikido master, take them and throw the person because they understand that it's not a matter of physical brute force, understanding yeah. the underlying patterns that allow you that's to That's incredible. That is a, I've never is, heard that. That's what stretching is about. So, yeah. And there's just like, when you said that, there's just my, my, head was exploding because there's just so many thoughts going on. There's so many different ways you could take that because it also demonstrates that kind of principle. And I've never heard that before. I've never heard that rule before. It's fascinating though, but it explains why, even it explains why black swan events happen because you're saying that the model has to be as complicated and as flexible as the system or it doesn't work, which makes total sense. But there is to work the model. Many times we construct models that aren't, they are quick and easy. They're like heuristics and they're not going to always work with the systems. And that's why you have these black swans because it would be too cumbersome to work with a model that was sufficient to cover all the complexities that we deal with in business or in life. But on the flip side of what you're saying, totally makes sense why the more experience a leader has, the more industry knowledge, the more capabilities that they have for the position, that the more security that gives the people below them, because they're like, well, they've seen all this, they know the complexities and they're made to handle it and they're adaptable. So I feel really good because whatever comes, come what may, this person, I trust them to lead. So it works both ways. I, that is fascinating. And what great leaders are doing is they're connecting the dots. They're making new patterns, right? right? They mm -hmm. cross the chaos, it was one of my, Mentors said they cross the chaos hazard for you. They're helping mm. us all move forward in the face of uncertainty. Let me give you an That's example awesome. of a pattern where people, I had two senior executives and Robert and Grant, and they're tremendously talented guys, extremely competent, really smart, got lots of stuff done, and then they encounter each other in a meeting, right? They need to oh. work with you. They have, op they have a task that requires them to work with each other. Okay. People get used up with other people all the time, but these two guys had patterns. One guy's pattern, let's call him the task commander. And he, Graham had to get stuff done. And he was like a bullet on its way to the target. Right. Right. And Robert, brilliant guy that is always figuring out the complexities in advance so that he can preempt the last 10%, right? Wow. What the problems are going to be. Wow. So you get these two guys in a meeting and they are the big egos, smartest guy in the room, and they're trying to navigate their pattern of interaction, mm. what they think is a way of doing it. So they sit down with me and I go, wow, these two guys are really smart. They're competent. And they go, so... What can you do, Mr. High-Priced Consultant? We said it was something like that. <laughs> like it's your problem now. They have the problem now, it's you, and now it's you. What are you going to do about it, Mr. High-Priced Consultant? <laughs> right. So I said to them that I listened to how they att their attempted solutions. A lot of times, Dallas, the pattern, the problem is in your attempted solution. And mm. they were operating inside an attempted solution that maintained the problem. So every time Graham saw, let's move forward, Robert said, would say, let's hold back. Every time Robert said, would say, we need more information, Graham said, we got enough, let's go. So their attempted solutions kept maintaining it. So how do you solve something like that? I told them that it was a, they had a grammar problem. <laughs> they look at me and go, what are you talking about? 
<laughs> and I oh, said, awesome. the grammar, it's a, it's who goes first? Like, sure. is it verb or the noun or which way, how do you move forward on this? It's a sequence issue here. That's right. And so I suggested, I said, if I'm understanding you, you correctly, Robert, if you can get enough of your questions addressed in advance, you're okay with Graham just running with the sucker and going as fast as possible. He said, that would be perfect. I said, Graham, if you could answer his questions as quick as you can up front, would you be okay then just taking the sucker and finishing the last 10%? He said, absolutely. I said, so what you guys need to do is work together, not in a way that honors your talents. Yes. Instead yes. of counterproductive, your attempted solutions have been to go independently rather than together. And these uh, guys, uh, guys who are battling for a long time, they're still close friends. And they do, uh, stuff. They do things out of, out of work. They talk to each other. Because it was not about, a lot of people think it's this personality thing and who's trying to control. But it was really this pattern, this hidden pattern. Yes. That needed yes. busting. And so once they, so what would happen from that moment forward is Robert would bring up some issues and Graham said, so what else, what other questions do you have? What other questions? <laughs> Let's get to the said, bottom. And Robert Let's get them all say, on the table. And Robert would say, there's also this and this, and he'd bring them up. Oh, he said, oh, good. He said, is that it? Do we have that? And so we answered that and here's how we do that. Robert said, good, we're good to go. And Graham and Robert would say, take it and run. You got it. And boom, off to the races they were. And they were so, a tremendous skill set. Isn't that amazing, though? Because you can spot that when you were describing their strength there. These are two people that could not be more polar opposite in strengths. One's this planner, sequencer, strategist. One's the absolute epitome, achiever, doer, go get it done, and we'll figure it out while we run. And then you go, how do those two work together? And it's, yeah, neither one works great in a vacuum. We all need that counterbalance. And these are like the two perfect counterbalances to each other. This guy's kind of seeing around corners to begin with. This guy's knocking down walls while they're running. It's, this is a great team. And you just show up and just were like, guys, what are you arguing about? And then I'm sure they heard that. What are we? What, why have we been arguing? And then you said, send me the check, boys. <laughs> right. That's so good. That's so good. I love that. It's a great story. I love how you said that about p the pattern. And this is another brilliant thing that you've said. <laughs> The, the actual problem is in the attempted solution. I think people don't understand when you're walking into an environment that's really toxic or very aggressive or just they're hitting brick walls they can't get over. And you just have this, ta-da, just this easy, nice solution because you can see it. You understand the model of patterns. You saw that, but they are constantly trying to solve this problem in ways that are in their own pattern, which is just exacerbating the problem. It, right. Here's a, a way of thinking about it. Do you know a Chinese finger cuff? You know, those things that lock yes. you up? Like I actually have one here. I don't know on video here, but here's this Chinese. You can see this, right? So <laughs> what's your attempted solution, Dallas? Your attempted solution is to pull harder, to get sure. free of it, right? And the design of the problem is to, the finger cuffs is the harder you pull, the tighter it gets, the less likely you get free. So the attempted solution needs to be a 180. You have to actually mm. push rather than pull. That's right. Right. So That's your right. attempted solution is often, so you want to unlock the pattern, right? And mm. obviously people's problems or work are more complex than a Chinese finger cuffs example, but yes. it tells your brain, it tells your brain understands the elegance of understanding that what's my attempted solution? Is it maintaining the problem? And then what would be a 180? What would be something different here that would be, mm. that would change the game? I had a, another deck who was, he had this warrior mentality and he was fighting. He was not only fighting with everyone around him, he was fighting with himself also, just battling. Wow. And we were talking and it, at one point, it became obvious that there was another strategy, a different rule in his head. The warrior mentality was a rule in his head, right? That's what I said about games. So it was a rule in his head. And what, he changed it from warrior, battling warrior, 
to a conductor, like a musical conductor, a conductor of a oh, musician, bringing wow. out the best in his people. And he switched mm. it from warrior to conductor. Game change. Game that, change. That's such a, a strong illustration. When you say patterns, I think there's so many patterns that we, we formulate as stories that we have. We're telling this story like we, it's us against the world. We have this warrior mentality. I'm go- it's my will or theirs, and I've got to prevail. And he's going into every situation with this story and that pattern underlying that story. And then when you can just shift that perspective and you can shift that story to something like, hey, you realize that you're in the center of all this, and we can make some beautiful music if you would just tell yourself this new way of thinking, this show, this new way. I love that. He changed the rule in his head. It was a rule in his... Remember, games are run by rewards, objectives, and rules. And when you Mm. talk about being a game changer, you change the rule, game changes. So here's he changing the internal rule in his head. Sometimes it's more difficult to change the rules on the game board, but in his head, he could change that rule. If we are, if we have, and with Think We Thrive, we offer teams this coaching app for their leader coaches. And some of these leader coaches, in fact, I was having a conversation not too long ago with someone. He said, most people in businesses are managed by that first level of leaders, which is, you know, which is new leaders, young leaders, or maybe they've been very technically proficient, but they've just been promoted into this over people. And to this point, they've been either really great coders or really great technicians or really great doctors or lawyers. Now they're in this position and they're at being asked by their company by to, to now be a team leader or a coach or manager of these people. If they're engaging these people in developing, what is something that you've seen just that would be helpful to someone that's just getting into, they're not a trained psychologist, but they're just getting into building trust building that relationship and coaching and developing their team members, what would you say would be some really good advice for them to take home? A number of things, but I've worked with lots of engineers and you would not think of engineers as typically your people-oriented folks. They're all humans, right? They're all carbon units. (laughs) But typically they're not, right? One-on-one, they're all great. If you once you talk to them, they respect you, then they open kimono, they'll talk about anything. But typically, right. because they go logical, I, one of the things I always try to convey to people is that, that humans are not logical. They're psycho-logical. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that, so it's like, even if you've been at your, you've been in situations where Despite your best efforts, you can't move forward, right? Even the smartest people, this happens to, right? And so what we want is to be able to understand what's causing that or what's contributing, that it happens to the best of us. One of the things when you're collaborating with people, and that's part of what, as a team, you're starting to collaborate, is to advocate your points of view strongly, to have a strong, here's my point of view. But then to ask the people that you're working with, do you see it differently? Am I missing anything? So when you do that, now you're saying, hey, I'm willing to have my rules in my head that I think is right investigated. That opens up the level of trust tremendously. And let me tell you, if you do this at home with your spouses, be careful because they may tell you. (laughs) <laughs> don't ask if you don't want to know, right? right. You see it. Th- am I missing something? It helps tremendously. Am I missing something? Do you see it differently? So that it just opens, it just connects to people because you want to hear. Like you said, you actually want to hear what's going on and what's the possibilities that they, because they're actually set of eyes on the front line. Hey, I don't see it this way. What, so tell me. And now you now you engage. I may not agree with you, right? But sure. I'd like to know. I'd like to see what's going forward, and that really seems to help. But there's three things. As a general rule, there's three things that I always look for. But th- we can talk about that. Did I answer? Your- no, that was great. No, that's great. I love that. I just think that this has been just so helpful. I mean, you've talked. There's been just a load of knowledge and. You've just got a lot to share. 
I would love for our readers, our listeners, to be able to connect with you, to be able to read your book. Where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? How do they get your book? Where's it at? They can come to my website, by the way. It's what's w.stephenfeinberg.com. It's S-T-E-B-E-N. Feinberg is F as in family, E-I-N as in Nancy, B as in boy, E-R-G.com. And there's a pre-chapter to the to my book, the first chapter. I think it oh, might wonderful. The forward by the astronaut, Greg Johnson. There's also an assessment tool that should be up in the next month or so. Oh, really? Oh, to, wow. And what's to, the assessment about? The assessment is called the first adapter score scorecard, and it evaluates you on these three factors that I've been talking about, being a game spotting, pattern busting, frame setting about influence, and it evaluates you along. It has, it's nine questions and takes about five minutes, and it comes spits out a report about where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are and what some Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's so, fantastic. So you could also go get my book on Amazon. It's on, it's on Amazon.com. Okay. So, but the way I think about it is if on this first adapter scorecard, or if there's a game board, if my metaphor, it's a game board is to look at. And there's on this game board, there's game spotting, pattern busting, and frame setting. So what small behavior can you take to have a big impact today? So instead of uncertainty, you could ask yourself, what's the real game board I'm on? Right. You can ask yourself, how's my approach working? If it's not, do a 180. What would be a 180 here? Ask yourself, in what way is changing the frame? Can I change the game like that? Mm, yes. Some fellow whose rules were about the internal game of being a warrior rather than a, a conductor. What's the frame that you're setting? And so, so I think that's part of what you can also do. I think that you've laid out your main three, the, the game spotting, the pattern busting, and the frame setting. And honestly, the... We really only scratched the surface today. With We spent a lot of time on, on game spotting and a little bit on pattern busting, but we have so much. We, we just, we've got a lot. We got, there's a lot more there that we didn't even get a chance to talk about. The problem, I love how you talked about how the problem is, was often found in that attempted solution. I thought that was fantastic. And I loved also how you talked about the highest level of pattern. People in operating at that highest level we're stretching and not shrinking. thought that was great. We talked about how the, every, every pattern has these objectives and rules and rewards. You just covered all of that so masterfully. I would love to have you back on the show sometime to unpack even some more and we get into the frame setting and all these things that we didn't really get a chance to cover a lot today. I just think you have just so much to share, especially to, to leaders and coaches, obviously. I think this time was so well spent. We will put all those links in the show notes. So if you were listening to the show today, and you would like to, I would encourage you to go to his website, go to Dr. Feinberg's website, check it out, look through it, take his assessment when it's out. We would love to support you in that and also buy his book on Amazon. We're going to include all those in the show notes links. Dr. Feinberg, we always close the show by asking if there was somebody that comes to mind in our guest that in our guest mind's eye that they would like to hear on the last 10% as a future guest, does anybody come to mind for you that you would like to recommend that we go after and try to try to get on the show and have a great conversation with? I have a number of people that, that I think would be great for your show and edifying and elucidate the future for all of us. Jay mm -hmm. Samet, who I mentioned earlier. Who else? Oren Class. And who is Jay? Oh, Lauren Class, yeah. Oren yeah, Class. Class. Yeah. Right. Those two. And who are they? So Jay Samet is a, a former Sony exec and has written books about disruption. Claff has written books about influence and framing mm -hmm. and pitching. Um, those are two people who have a high level there. I wouldn't call them people who are in this mat, met playing this metagame. They're playing it up. They're much in the metagame. Right. Ugh. We I, love so, some execs that I work with, that Robert Sharp, he was an Apple exec. He would be a great person. 
That's intriguing examples. And so those, there you go. That's, one, that's an incredible list. We will absolutely reach out to the, these wonderful metagame players and see if we can get them on the show. That sounds like it'd be some fun conversations. I just can't thank you enough, Dr. Feinberg, for being on our show today. This has been an absolute pleasure. You, I feel like I've just sat through a master class. You have dropped some knowledge on us today. It has been fascinating. And I hope our listeners, I know our listeners have gotten a lot out of it. And so we just want to thank you for being on the show today. And we look forward to having you back on the show again so we can cover some more of this great stuff that's in your book. It's be my pleasure. And some of the, the thing that I remember with my dad was behind those closed doors, one of the things that he accomplished was that I, want, I understood winning. Right? Mm. But I wanted to know how to create the exceptional, which is what he did behind those closed doors. So the gambling is winning, but then creating where that's applicable to everyone else. And that experience was triumph. And I mm. wanted that experience of triumph as I moved forward in my life. And I hope oh, that's I a wish great that one. on everybody as well. We want you guys. I hope you just felt that was a lot of great energy. We want you as listeners of the last 10% to check out Dr. Feinberg's book so that you can go and triumph. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.